Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Church, we're really blessed to have Pastor Jody bringing God's Word to us. Jody looks after all of our bridge care ministry, reaching out to bless so many people uh, in so many different ways. This team does an amazing job, and we want to encourage Jody, don't we, church? As she comes to share with us this morning, can we welcome her? Thank you, church. I just want to pray before we start uh, to open up God's Word. Jesus, we thank you for your presence with us, our living hope here today. And I pray, God, for a fresh revelation over your people to come this morning. As we open up your word, as we hear what you have to say to us, God, we invite your Holy Spirit here now in Jesus' name. Amen. So good to have you here. So good to have you watching online if you are joining us today. Well, I need to start with an apology we maybe thought we were launching into a series on Romans this morning, and maybe we were supposed to be doing that. But um, I, I don't know. There was something so amazing about last weekend. Nathan mentioned it in the announcements just then. The afterglow of Easter, I just didn't want to move out of. And so um, I was trying to describe it. I've spoken to a few people who all kind of felt it. I met up with a lady who's just new coming to church and she was trying to describe it to me, but lost for words as to how to explain what she felt here in the services. I didn't really have words either. So I went, it's just Jesus. It's who he is, it's what he does. Incredible that 2,000 years later, we are still moved by Jesus. Um, and my devotional readings over Easter have been in Luke. And I have just been so drawn into the account, Luke's account of the Easter story. So in the afterglow of Easter, the incredible sense of joy and awe that has lingered for me, I was just feeling reluctant to move on yet, church. So bear with me. And if you were one of the people who were enjoying God's beautiful creation last weekend, maybe camping over the long weekend, then you're not gonna miss out on Easter if you're here today. The Easter eggs and hot cross buns might have been packed away and sold off. Last weekend's leftovers. But there is nothing about this message and the impact of it that should be packed away and forgotten about until next year. Let me tell you that now. Luke 24 is such an incredible account of the resurrection story unfolding. Sometimes we can gloss over familiar stories as we read the Bible, assume, assuming that, oh yeah, we know this one. But it's good to go back and read it carefully again. Soak in the details, put yourself in the picture Kind of discover it like you're seeing it for the first time. Let me put you in the picture here for what was happening at the end of Luke chapter 23. Jesus' followers were shattered. They had just watched their friend, who they thought was the Messiah, go through a totally unjust trial and then be executed in a punishment reserved for the worst criminals of the Roman Empire. The overwhelming emotion of grief at the loss of someone they loved is difficult enough without the trauma of the kind of death that Jesus went through. Add to that the fear that they might be the next ones hauled before the Roman authorities. Their whole meaning and purpose was gone. 
could they go back to their old lives and pretend that the last three years didn't happen? How could God allow his plan to go so wrong? Surely the Son of God, surely the Messiah wouldn't wind up a lifeless body wrapped in cloths, sitting in a, laying in a tomb. Bitter disappointment mixed with shock and shame was all that was left for these followers as that stone sealed Jesus' dead body away. Jesus had died. What now? This is where we're left when Luke continues the story in chapter 24. The, the very next sentence starts with a but. But very early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb. The but here is a message to us that something out of the ordinary is about to unfold. The women, not just one, a whole group of them, had come back from the tomb saying, the body is gone. And someone had told them Jesus is alive. Any sane person would be raising their eyebrows at these women. Honestly, how could they believe that? And then Jesus appeared to two other followers on the road to Emmaus. At first, they didn't recognize him, but he stayed and ate with them. And as soon as he broke the bread, they knew it was him, but then he vanished. What are these stories? How could this be true? Was it just some kind of vision or apparition? Put yourself in that room. Would you have believed what these people were saying? And we pick up here in Luke chapter four, 24, verse 36. And just as they were telling about it, that's the followers who met Jesus on the road to Emmaus, Jesus himself was suddenly standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. But the whole group was startled and frightened, thinking they were seeing a ghost. Why are you frightened, he asked. Why are your hearts filled with doubt? Look at my hands, look at my feet. You can see that it's really me. Touch me and make sure that I'm not a ghost because ghosts don't have bodies as you, can, as you see that I do. As he spoke, he showed them his hands and feet. Still they stood there in disbelief, filled with joy and wonder. Then he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he ate it as they watched. Pause there. None of us like being deceived, do we? I mean, we seem to be saturated with scams and fake news. You can't live in the 21st century without needing the Holy Spirit's gift of discernment just to work out whether you can believe what you see and hear. There is a running joke in my family, which started a few years ago with mum showing the kids a video from social media. Now you have to try and picture this in your mind, okay? There is a dog on a boat in the middle of the ocean and he falls, the dog falls into the, into the water. The owner of the boat 
doesn't realize that the dog's fallen in, and so as the dog's floundering, the boat drives off. Then there are these sharks that are encroaching around the dog, and just at the right moment, a dolphin comes along and rescues the dog. The dog holds on to the dolphin's neck and the dolphin carries him back to the boat, reunites him with the owner. It is a beautiful story. Well, my mum showed this to the kids and then she said, isn't this just amazing? That the dog was saved by the dolphin like that? And my kids turned to mum and said, Mama, that's not real. She was horrified at their cynicism. These were her grandchildren saying this to her. She was insisting that this was real. Dolphins can do amazing things. How do you know that's not real? I don't know. Something about the multiple camera angles. Something about the end of the movie where the dog lifts his little paw to wave to the dolphin <laughs> and the dolphin rolls over and waves his fin. I don't know exactly what it was. But my mum learned a very important lesson that day. You can't believe everything you see on Facebook. We are bombarded with all sorts of claims of truth. And how can you know what is true and what is fake? Clearly, this isn't a new problem. 2,000 years ago, this is exactly what Jesus' followers are trying to work out. Sifting through the reports of an empty tomb, Jesus appearing on the road to Emmaus. No doubt by now there were whispers too of the allegation that some of the disciples had stolen Jesus' body away, literally, we read in Matthew that the Jewish religious leaders heard about the empty tomb, were worried that the resurrected Jesus story would take hold and paid off the Roman guards to spread a lie. No wonder this gathering were filled with fear and doubt as Jesus all of a sudden appeared in their midst. Could that really be Jesus standing there? They were spooked out. Jesus' first words are, peace be with you. That sounds like something Jesus would say, right? But it didn't really help. The whole group was startled and frightened. Jesus' second words to them were, why are you frightened? Why are your hearts filled with doubt? I don't know about you, but I can just see the disciples saying here, Jesus, do you really have to ask that question? Really? I mean, we just watched you die. We just saw your dead body. Our hearts have been ripped out of our chest for these past couple of days. And now you magically appear before us and you are talking. At this moment, Jesus is like, Come on, guys, it's really me. And he invites them to touch his body to prove that he's not a ghost. And then he says, have you got anything to eat? The disciples stood there in disbelief, filled with joy and wonder. If there's a modern translation for the disciples' response, it would be, we see it, but we don't believe it. 
This is way too good to be true. Their fear had dissipated in Jesus' presence, but the doubt was still hard to overcome. Jesus wants them to be sure, absolutely certain, that his resurrection is no trick. This is no fake news. His hands and feet would have carried the nail marks of the crucifixion. He had a physical body. They could touch him. He could eat real food. The real Jesus was standing before them as alive as he ever was. Jesus makes space for them to confront their doubts. Hear that this morning. And he gently leads them to belief and faith. We pick up the reading again in verse 44. Then Jesus said, when I was with you before, I told you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said, yes, it was written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. It was also written that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all the nations, beginning in Jerusalem. There is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. You are witnesses of all these things. And now I will send the Holy Spirit just as my father promised, but stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. Faith grows as Jesus opens their mind to understand the scriptures. It was actually what he'd been sharing with them from the start of his ministry. All the things they had heard and seen in the law, the prophets and the Moses, it all started to make sense now. This was their aha moment. The penny had dropped. These disciples were witnesses of all that scripture had promised, that the prophets of long ago had, had longed to see. Their last few days wasn't some surprising injustice enacted by Romans or Jewish leaders or ignorant crowds. The crucified Messiah wasn't a disruption to God's plan. On the contrary, Scripture had been pointing to this moment all along. This was God's plan A. This was his plan of salvation. And don't you just wish that someone had have recorded all the details that Jesus gave when he opened their disciples' mind and explained all the scriptures? Wouldn't we love that? We get some clues in Peter's first sermon in Acts chapter two, but as we read and study God's word, Jesus does open our minds to these mysteries. Don't get me wrong, there are plenty of mysteries in God's word for me. But as I read it through the lens of Jesus, I can see him. I can see his truth. I had a discovery like this just this week. My daily readings after being in Luke over Easter jumped back to Leviticus. Leviticus is not my favorite book of the Bible. I'm so sorry if you're a Leviticus fan. I'm safe, I'm pretty sure. I've already mentioned to you um, 
yeah, that we jumped back there in chapter 16, and then I was reading there about the Day of Atonement and two goats being presented for the sin offering. The priest was to cast sacred lots to determine which animal would be the sin offering to the Lord and which would be allowed to live and go free. And I read those words and I went, wow. Jesus was the sin offering for the sins that I was carrying and I was the one who was allowed to go free. For hundreds of years in Jewish culture, they celebrated this atonement day and watched this picture of justice and grace meeting right there. And Jesus fulfills it at the cross, the final atoning sacrifice for sin. It was a little insight for me into the disciples' amazement as Jesus unlocked scripture for them. Have you ever had one of those, uh, those aha moments for yourself? Where you feel like your eyes and your heart and your mind have been open to who Jesus is. I love hearing about people's first experience of Easter after they've come to faith. They experience it so differently. Once it was just a holy day on the Christian calendar. But after coming in to see Jesus, it becomes so deeply personal and significant. We see ourselves as the one who deserved the punishment. We see ourselves as Jesus suffers for our sins on the cross. We rejoice in the power of the resurrection because Jesus made that life available to us, to me. Victory over death is ours if we believe in him. The reality and hope of this message hangs on Jesus' resurrection being true. The Apostle Paul in his first letter to the Corinthian church says, if Christ had not been raised, your faith is useless. If you accept the cross without the resurrection, it is no gospel at all. It's not good news. Now the cross is absolutely important. Sin is dealt with there, mercy is poured out there, God's justice is achieved there. But Jesus' resurrection is victory over death. The exaltation of Jesus is the culmination of God's salvation plan and the promise of life for all those who believe in him. It's the stamp on God's redemption. Christianity is not just another religion. It is not a set of teachings or rules. It is not a whole lot of stories preserved from ancient times. It is life transforming good news because Jesus did not stay dead in that tomb. He is risen. And Jesus wants there to be no doubt in the minds of his followers that he is the risen Lord. He is alive today. And he is the one who continues to open the minds of those who seek him, to reveal again and again the truth 
of who he is as savior and king. These followers finally get it. Their doubt disappears and Jesus calls them to share this message of good news with the whole world, to proclaim it with authority in his name. There is a call from Jesus to be bold and courageous here. These disciples are witnesses to incredible truth that the whole world needs to know. The whole world needs to know this message of forgiveness of sin for everyone who repents. Every nation, every people group, no one is excluded here from God's redemptive plan. No one. I'm sure the disciples would have been pumped up with Jesus' vision and the mission that he was sharing with them. But perhaps perhaps maybe a little hesitant when he said start in Jerusalem. I don't know if you've noticed that before. Like I always thought Jesus said start in Jerusalem because he wants us to start doing this right where he's placed us, right where we're at. And I haven't never, never really occurred to me to appreciate that Jerusalem might actually have been the hardest place for these disciples to start. They knew the people in Jerusalem And don't we make assumptions about people's perspectives, assumptions about how they'll respond and react to this message? Surely the disciples were the same, wondering if it was actually a good idea to start sharing this message in the very place that Jesus was rejected and crucified. But Jesus doesn't call them to be witnesses without his power filling them. He says, stay put until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. Launching out on their own would have been a very bad idea. And Jesus didn't give them a time frame for their waiting, but he said they needed to wait on his spirit. Luke concludes his whole gospel with these verses. Verse 50, then Jesus led them to Bethany and lifting up his hands to heaven, he blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up to heaven. So they worshipped him and then returned to Jerusalem, filled with great joy. And they spent all of their time in the temple praising God. Joy and praise and worship at the end of this chapter are a stark contrast to where we were with frightened, full of doubt disciples just a few verses before. The book of Acts tells us it was 40 days between Jesus' resurrection and ascension. And while they're the same disciples, they're not the same people, are they? They understand now with confidence who Jesus is. They're not crying as he leaves them again. They're filled with faith that their risen Lord has gone to sit at the right hand of God the Father, preparing a place for them, interceding on their behalf. And at just the right time, he will return as king. Their confidence in this truth of Jesus' risen Lord has given them every reason to be filled with joy, praise and worship. And while this is a fantastic ending, Luke's finish here is a bit of a cliffhanger. This can't be the end. At this point, Jesus' followers can fit in one room. Are you feeling 
the tension and anticipation that there has to be more to this story. What happens with the vision and mission that Jesus called them to? What about the rest of the world? When does the power from heaven arrive? Luke finishes here with the disciples on hold, waiting for the next mystery of God's plan to unfold. If you don't know what happens next, how are we going for time? I can't just leave you here to finish in in Luke. He picks up the story again in the book of Acts. The disciples only had to wait 10 days and then whooshka, the Holy Spirit came in power from heaven, just like Jesus said. Acts 2.1 says, there was a sound from heaven like a roaring of a mighty windstorm and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. We see the intricate and miraculous plan of God continue to unfold right here. It just so happened that the Holy Spirit's timing came right in the middle of the festival of Pentecost. Jews from every nation were gathered right there in Jerusalem. And when they heard that mighty sound, they came running. They were perplexed and amazed to hear that their own languages were being spoken. And the words they heard were the wonderful things that God had done. They could understand it. Faith is put into action when the Spirit comes. Hear that this morning. And if the resurrection is the stamp on God's salvation plan, this is the seal. The power from heaven is here. Here's the next part of the plan unfolding. And Peter steps forward, anointed by the Spirit to preach Jesus' message of good news, to preach the things that Jesus had opened his mind to and made clear. He starts with the prophet Joel. In the last days, just like God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Peter shares the message of Jesus, tells them that you thought he was a man, but were amazed by the things that he did and you saw, that was because he's actually God. He explains who Jesus is, that he's the Messiah promised, uses all these Old Testament passages, words of King David. It's this awesome sermon that flows right out of Peter, indicating the transformation from fear and doubt to confident truth and hope that he had been through. We pick up in verse 32 in Acts 2. Peter says, God raised Jesus from the dead and we are all witnesses of this. Now he is exalted to the, highest, to the place of highest honour in heaven at God's right hand. And the Father, as he had promised, gave him the Holy Spirit to pour out upon us just as you see and hear today. 
So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified to be both Lord and Messiah. Verse 37 says, Peter's words pierced their hearts. And they said to him and to the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 3,000 people responded to Peter's message and were baptized that day. Is that not worth a clap? 3,000 people. That is not a clap for me, by the way. That is a clap praising Jesus, the risen Jesus. What a witness. What an impact the power of the Holy Spirit makes to the mission of God. And right here, the church is born. It was God's church and all of heaven are celebrating Jesus' resurrection as we did last weekend, as we do this weekend. As followers of Jesus, we live out this resurrection every single day. 2,000 years later, people from every nation are still responding to this message. As we heard in the testimonies last weekend in Vienna's testimony today, 2,000 years later, we are still witnesses to the power of the resurrected Jesus to forgive sins and transform lives. 2,000 years later, we are still baptizing people into his call and mission to be witnesses to him. And 2,000 years later, the Holy Spirit is no less powerful no less able to awaken people's hearts to truth, to convict people of sin and transform and empower and equip them for the life Jesus has called his followers to. I was reminded again of the promise of revival God has made to us, that he will pour out his spirit on us on this community, on our city, on our nation. I remembered writing that prophecy of Joel on the walls of this building when they were concrete slabs. And we continue to pray in faith that we will see that day, that we will see the day when many people in our nation are calling on the name of the Lord and being saved. If you're in a place of waiting for a promise today, Jesus wants you to hold on. Keep holding on while you, and while you wait, be filled with joy. Be filled with praise and worship that this is the mighty resurrected Jesus we are believing who will fulfill his promise. If you have never had a moment of placing your faith in the risen Jesus, maybe fear or doubt or uncertainty have been holding you back. You don't wanna be taken for a ride here. You don't wanna feel like you're being deceived. Turn to Jesus. Ask him to open your eyes and your heart and your mind to see who he really is. Come and do Alpha 
great way to do, to explore those questions. We've witnessed Vienna's baptism this morning. She's 14 years old. It takes courage to get in that pool and bear testimony to Jesus' work in your life. When I talked to her mom and Vienna during the week, I said, um, how long have you been thinking about getting baptized? And Vienna's mom said, she's been wanting to do this for years. She goes, I can't hold her back any longer. Some of us have been holding back. And Jesus is calling you today to be bold and courageous and step through those waters of baptism. Experience a shift in the spiritual reality that takes place when we bear witness and testify to the work of Jesus in our life. Jesus promises that as believers who call on his name, we will be filled with the Holy Spirit and keep being filled. This morning, allow the Spirit's power to fill you again, to renew your faith, to see Jesus in your life in fresh ways. His mission continues today, and by His Spirit, He has equipped you to be His witness in your Jerusalem and wherever else He might take you. Be His light, shine His love, spread the God flavor of salt in the world around you. Be bold and confident as you go. Ask the Holy Spirit to fill you again, to anoint you with his fire for the mission he has called you to. Let's bow in prayer. Oh, Jesus, we are full of praise and thanks for who you are our resurrected Savior, King, and Lord. And we are so thankful not to be talking about a Savior who died in a tomb, but one who rose again, who makes life available to us, who had a plan to pour out your spirit, your presence with each and every one of us, your presence with your church gathered here today. And we thank you. Fill us again. Fill us again, we ask. In your mighty and powerful name. Amen. We're going to stand and worship. And as we do, if God's been speaking to you, I just encourage you to come and receive prayer. There's a prompting of the Spirit in your heart telling you to talk to someone or do something. Then just do that this morning. Be free to do that today. But worship the King of Kings.
I forgot something last Sunday, and God in His grace has given me an opportunity to do this that I forgot. There is a greeting that believers have had for thousands of years, when they've, particularly at Easter time, it's called the Paschal Greeting, when they come. And I forgot to do this last week, but God is good. Isn't God good? And the greeting um, goes like this. As you greet each other, you say, He is risen, and the response is... Jody, I'm so glad that you preached on this again this Sunday. So church, are you ready? We're going to do this together and not hold back in the afterglow of the resurrection that we can live in the truth of every day, Jody. It's true, every day for us. So church, He is risen. Put our hands together as we worship our great God this morning. Isn't He worthy? Praise God. Lord, we thank you for this word from you this morning. Lord, it's from you. This is what you want us just to be reminded of again this morning, the fullness of this message that transforms lives, Lord. And so now, Lord, we pray you have given your spirit. Anoint us, Lord. Anoint us for the mission to take this good news to our world, Lord. Bless us, we pray. We continue to look to you in all things. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Thanks so much for sharing with us this morning. Those joining us online as well. If you'd like prayer in some way, our prayer team will be down the front. If you're online, reach out to your host or email through to prayer at bridgman.org.au. Our connections lounge at the back. And come out and join us tonight. Mark Westhausen is sharing with us tonight as well. We'd love to have you share with us. God bless.